Hi, and welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. This is Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and I would love for you to leave me a review of this podcast and also to share and like it and share it with your friends, see what they think and let me know. I would love to shout you out on social media. And also, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN, as well as TikTok. I also have started a YouTube channel at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I'd love for you to follow me on all of those channels. And most importantly, I'd love for you to become a patient. I am now accepting telehealth patients for sexual health as well as menopause health in New York and Michigan. So if you are a woman that is looking for a doctor that understands you and can actually take the time to listen to all of your concerns, reach out to me. Reach out at drsadaf at drsadaf.com. And I would love to see you as a patient. And now for the episode. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and this episode is everything you need to know about BDSM. Uh, but before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I am not giving any type of medical advice. So if you are having any medical issues, please speak with your healthcare provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So today I have a very special guest and it is my friend, AJ, who was part of the sex counseling and education course through the University of Michigan that we both took. It was a year long course. And AJ is located in the DC area and she is a sex therapist as well as a BDSM educator. So welcome to the podcast, AJ. I'm so happy to have you on and I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you. I am super thrilled to be here. Um, this is one of my favorite things to do because talking about kink and kind of destigmatizing BDSM is one of my one of my jams. Um, so yeah, my name is Amy Julia Shafitz. I go by AJ, and my pronouns are she/her. And I am a sex therapist and kink educator. That is what I do. So I work primarily with the BDSM community, doing therapy and um, and things like that. And then um, outside of that, when I do education, I am often educating within the community, a lot of times about things like kink and mental health, and also outside. So I work with a lot of um, mental health professionals, and uh, sometimes, you know, nursing world folks, and all of that, to, to talk about kink and what, you know, it's like to kind of be in that type of world or that type of relationship and what they might need to know about it, right? If a client comes through your door and, um, you know, you don't have maybe necessarily all the information that you might want about that particular culture or lifestyle, um, they could feel really pathologized or really marginalized and that's painful and you hopefully don't want, don't want the folks you meet to um, to feel that way. So that's, that's kind of what I do a lot of, um, in terms of education. 
So. That's awesome, AJ. So um, I will be honest, I am, I know about as much as we learned in that course, which you know, was not too much. Um, so I, you know, I'm going to leave it up to you because you are definitely the expert on this. I will say that I have a lot of people that um, will DM me and ask about it. And um, I actually don't, you know, don't know all the uh, nuances and I don't know always the terminology and how to guide them. So really excited for you to educate us and um, teach us the things that you know, basically we should at least have a basic understanding. And like you said, it's kind of like a 101. Cool. And yeah, if there are questions that people have, have asked you or anything, like I'm always more than help, happy to, to answer those. That's that's always fun because, right, like people people sometimes want help navigating certain situations or have really legitimate questions because this is, a, you know, a piece of society that is that is not always super visible. Right. Um, and when it is, it's often through media and we... We know how media yeah. treats lots of marginalized communities. It's absolutely not always great. No. So, um, yeah, so there's lots of kind of stigmatizing and um, misinformation out absolutely. there. So, absolutely. Yeah, so I guess let's start kind of start at the very beginning, um, right? What is kink and BDSM? So um, kink and BDSM are now pretty much used interchangeably um, by, I would say, the vast majority of folks. Um, <clears throat> they're umbrella terms that mean, that are kind of describing sexuality outside of what we consider the quote-unquote norm, right? So that goes beyond what is often considered like, quote, traditional or quote, conventional sex, right? And I use quotes because um, because those things often change depending on, on the community that you're a part of, right? Conventional sex in one community might not look conventional in the other, in another community. Um, so the BDSM acronym, uh, technically stands for bondage and discipline, domination, submission, which might be things you, you recognize, right? Dom, sub, um, or sadism and masochism. And, um, like I said, it's often used interchangeably with kink. Sometimes people say like, oh, well, if those are very specific kind of actions and behaviors and that is BDSM and the rest is kink. And it's all very confusing. Um, most of people use them as kind of a combined big catch-all term. Hmm. Okay. And then, yeah. And then there are lots of different kind of subgroups within that population. So, there are a number of num there are a number of numbers about how what the prevalence of is in the community um in like the larger world what what the prevalence of bdsm is and um i have seen anywhere from i think about two percent to like 40 something percent wow, that's a big day pretty big range um and and that actually often i'm so i'm a methodology queen i'm fascinated by methodology and how people decide to uh to conduct studies. And what we often find is that that is actually based on the methodology used. So a lot of times if researchers ask about labels, right? Are you into BDSM? Do you practice BDSM? Are you a kinkster? Do you do kink? Things like that. They get a lower number of respondents saying yes, 
If they ask about behaviors, right? Do you enjoy hair pulling? Do you enjoy spanking, right? Like things that we would often kind of typically categorize under kink. Mm -hmm. um, then that's when the percentage jumps up, right? So a lot of people are engaged in these behaviors, even if they might not identify with kind of the BDSM label. Um, so I think that's also a really interesting thing. And especially depending on, on, you know, if you're working with kind of the general population, right, either in a medical or a healthcare or um, a mental health setting, right, you may have folks who don't necessarily identify with these labels, but who are really doing these actions and may, may still have, um, may still have questions about them, may still, um, you know, need information about kind of the safety aspects or things like that. So, um, so I think that's, that's a really interesting piece of all of this for me. And we're, we're also still technically talking about a pretty small body of research, right? right. There is, there is just not much, not much out there in terms of, in terms of research. I think you, you may remember um, in one of our, one of our classes, somebody asked a question and I was like, oh, here's this study. Because right, if you work, if you work and you, you do any sort of journal articles or papers in this field, um, you will become very familiar with like the limited, uh, the limited research. So right. I had that off the top of my head. Well, that's, that's pretty, um, interesting just that, that there's such a range right mm -hmm. i just think that um i think exactly what you said right people may not consider themselves part of that community although they may enjoy aspects of it and maybe they don't know that they fall under that umbrella term yeah right? and especially if they don't know that much about uh bdsm they may not really know all the different levels and perhaps categorizations and things like that yeah and they may not know how to access their local community or kind of get involved or they may not want to and that's totally fine right there are so many people out there like doing this stuff right you know doing these kinds of activities playing around with these things in the privacy of their home or the privacy of somebody else's home or a hotel or you know a campground in the woods wherever you like and um and that's fine right everybody gets to kind of choose and have agency over where this happens and how they want to enjoy it um and if that is you know on their own that's great if that's with community that's also great yeah so go oh go ahead no, no, I was just going to say, I, I wanted to know more about, um, you know, and I'm sure you're, you're probably just about to get into it, but, you know, I was curious to find out more about uh, what type of, I don't know, I guess like consents that people get when they participate in BDSM. And, you know, is there, I know that you talked a little bit about submissive and dominant, and I'm sure you're going to get into all of that. Yeah, we can we can definitely just kind of move to that now. So um, before we talk about consent, let me just do a quick few like terms. Yeah. Run um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the um, the kind of terminology, right? And and you know, my big caveat for all of this is that 
communities are very different, right? Um, BDSM and kink for many, 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 many years, um, <clears throat> especially before the internet and even, even a, a bit of a ways after kind of the internet was connecting a lot of folks existed um, in very, in, in very kind of tight pockets. And that was a lot due to kind of the marginalization and stigmatization and, and still often is because of that, right? This is still a very stigmatized community, um, right? There's nothing protected about this, right? People can still be fired for being involved in kink or BDSM. People can still have it used against them in court or custody cases or sexual assault cases or, right? Like this is still a very, um, a very kind of stigmatized a set of behaviors or lifestyle or whatever you want to label it. And um, so a lot of these terms are kind of broadly, uh, broadly understood to be the same thing, but people might have a bit of different definitions or different understandings of them. Um, so a lot of times these are great ways to kind of uh, start conversations with folks of like, how do you define this? Let's, you know, let's make sure we're on the same page. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about kind of communication and consent, but communication and making sure everybody is on the same page about things is vitally important in this world. So um, <clears throat> some of the, the play terms I like to talk about, and I'm going to separate them into play, which is, right, kinky interaction, sometimes sexual, sometimes not. People don't always um, engage in kink and BDSM in a sexual way. Um, and then I'm going to separate that out from relationships where people might have um, might have more of kind of a day-to-day -day ongoing relationship with a partner. Um, and, and there are some different terms that sometimes apply to that. So when we're talking about play, there are a few roles that people take on. One is the top, who is the person giving or doing the action, right? They're the person throwing the whip or doing the tying up or, um, you know, using the tickle feather or whatever kind of action is happening. They're the person doing it. And we often call the person receiving it the bottom. They're the one who is, who is kind of on the receiving end of all the action. Again, this can be sexual or not sexual. And then there are plenty of folks who move between the two roles and those are often called switches, right? People who, it's not, it's not, not very complicated, people who switch. Um, and uh, I think it's also important to point out that none of those roles follow, um, follow gender, right? There are folks of all gender who are in all roles. And they don't always necessarily follow who has control and power in the scene, you know, in the play, in kind of what they're doing together, right? So somebody can be getting tied up and be directing the scene. They can be in control of what's happening. Or somebody can be, you know, receiving a flogging or receiving a spanking and be in, right, and say, hey, do it differently, do it this way, or this is exactly what I want in a control way, right? Outside of what we would call negotiation or kind of setting expectations around it, right? They can be in control regardless of whether they are giving or receiving. I think that's also a really important thing to point out because a lot of times we do assume, right, that the person kind of doing the action is the one who is taking control. And that's not always necessarily the case. It is often, but um, it's important to just remember that those things can be kind of broken out. Um, <clears throat> so 
when we talk about relationships, these are often when people um, have some sort of bring some sort of kink into their everyday life or bring some sort of what we call power exchange or authority transfer into their everyday life. And this is where you might be um, where you might be familiar with a term like a dom sub relationship. And so these types of relationships, authority transfer, power exchange relationships are where one partner consensually gives up decision-making power. And that might be in one very particular aspect or like area of the relationship, right? It might just be in the bedroom or just be about a certain kind of, you know, section of life. Um, or it might be in, in about their entire life, right? They might give up decision-making power in their entire life. And the other partner consensually takes it. Right. And that consent on both sides is really important because it's not fair to somebody to be like, well, I'm going to give you all the decision making power. That's a lot of responsibility. And then they're they're like, what? Like, that's a really important thing that they are willing to take on that responsibility. Um, and so in those types of roles, there are a lot of different um, labels or sometimes we call them honorifics. Um, that people use. A very common one is dominant submissive, right? The dominant is the one who takes on the responsibility or uh, power in the relationship. The submissive is the one who gives it up. And we'll often, if, you, if you've ever kind of seen them written, they have like a slash in between them, right? It'll say like dominant slash submissive. So often we'll, we'll group all the power holders um, and call them left or call them left side of the slash. And we'll all the power giver uppers and we'll call them right side of the slash, right? So that we're not saying every single time, blah, 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 you know, we're not going through all of the labels every single time to try to make sure everybody's encompassed. So there's dominant submissive. Um, there is master slave, which can get uncomfortable for some folks, which is totally fine. Um, there, right, we have a very particular history with with those terms um and it's something that you know the kink community is kind of reckoning with and figuring out like well what does that mean for us right these are these are obviously in a very different context but we also want to make sure that people aren't feeling alienated or marginalized because of the terminology that we're using um and there are plenty of folks who um who want to kind of take that back and be able to enact that role in a consensual and kind of from a place of agency. Um, so, the, so right. It's, it's very complicated. This is definitely one of those areas where people, people identify how they identify and um, you know, and there's kind of space for everyone to, um, to kind of choose how they want to interact with those terms and those labels and the, that lifestyle. There's all kinds of titles and honorifics, often depending on um, some of what you might do in your relationship or the, the flavor your relationship might have, right? So there might be a pet play aspect to it, right? Where one person is a, one person's a, some sort of animal um, and they kind of take on that persona or animal sona or um, role play as that animal. And so often that might be called like a pup and a handler or a critter and an owner or right. Like there's lots of different kind of terminology that folks might use for the, for the right side and the left side of the slash. Um, 
if folks might take on um, kind of an age play dynamic where one person um, is is either role playing or um, in the headspace of someone who is younger, which again can be one of those things that might be uncomfortable for folks and that's fine. Um, you know, these are all consenting adults, I think is also really important to point out. Um, and that is something that sometimes people like to like to play with. And that's, that's part of the beauty of kink is that people find the the things that they like, and they figure out how to do them in a consensual and responsible way. But if folks kind of have that aspect to their relationship, they might use the term big and little, or you might have seen daddy and little girl or daddy and little boy or mommy and little girl, mommy and little boy, right? There's lots of kind of different um, different terms that people might use for those relationships. And those are a, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of, um, of all of the different terms and all of the different honorifics and roles that people, um, that people identify with. And um, the the definitions and the kind of lines between them right there there is an ongoing debate about what makes the difference between a slave and a submissive and uh, right like all of these things are squishy and different people identify with them in different ways and they mean different things to a lot of different people so it's always one of those things where it's it's great to ask folks and really um have that personal experience you know if if they're okay with being asked, what does this mean to you? And what, what is, um, how does this kind of show up in your life? So, right. Well, that's, that's a lot. So, you know, I'm so glad that you're here to explain a lot of that because I think that most people, when they hear about BDSM, BDSM, they don't really know the terminology for sure that I'm sure, unless I think, unless you're academic or within that community, I don't think, you know, all of that and uh, all the different nuances. And I think something that you bring up, uh, which you've said a few times, which I think is super important is that it's consensual and that it is, you know, these are adults um, that are, you know, playing these specific roles and that it's, you know, almost like consent, right? So consent, it's an agreement and it's something that both parties know what's going on. They both accept it. And that's, you know, that's what they want in their relationship. And I think that that's a really important concept to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so let's talk maybe a little bit about some of the like foundational tenants. Yeah. That the King community. Um, so consent is absolutely one of them. The, the kink community often has some, um, some kind of acronyms that we use around like safety sure, um, and how we, you know, how we, how we set ourselves up for playing in a safe way. And one of those is SSC, which is safe, sane, and consensual. Um, one of those is rack, which is risk aware, consensual kink. Um, one is prick because we're very funny and we like our acronyms and that is personal responsibility informed consensual kink. And you'll notice that the, the, the carryover in all of these is consent, yeah. right? That is always a part of them. And, and, uh, you know, conversation about those kind of acronyms and what they mean and how they show up and how the community views them is a whole other, a whole other discussion, but those are really important. And most people have, one that they kind of more strongly identify with and consent is the, is the thread that runs through all of them. Um, and so what we're talking about when we talk about consent is right. Freely given 
So it can be revoked without consequences, right? Um, informed. And that's really important, especially when you are doing potentially dangerous things, right? Some of these things are, are fun and feel naughty and might not necessarily be um, at, like dangerous in the kind of physical danger realm. Um, and some are very dangerous, right? People play with whips, they play with fire, they play with electricity, they play with, um, you know, piercing and needles and like, like, there's so many things that are really fun, and also potentially very dangerous. And I will say, you know, most of the time when people are playing with things like those, it is after years of practice, right? I know folks who have literally practiced, um, really consistently with a single tail whip for over a year so before they ever threw it at like a human body um, because of the potential for harm. And um, so that informed piece of consent is really important, right? You can't give good consent to something unless you are aware of the potential danger that you could be consenting to. Right. Um, you know, if you consented to jump out of an airplane and you weren't aware that there is like a possibility that something could go wrong. Right. And then something goes wrong. Like that's a problem. I mean, it's a problem, <laughs> yeah. it's a problem anyway, but right. Like <laughs> you know, sometimes it helps to think of, uh, think of things outside of the realm of sex because we, we bring so much kind of other knowledge and other baggage and other, um, stuff when we're talking about sex. Right. But, we we can we can understand kind of how consent works in a lot of different areas and in order to consent um in a in a quote good way we we need to be informed about about the benefits and the risks that's a really important piece of it um and then like i said that that revocable piece is also really important um, there's lots of different ways that people talk about consent these days. Um, there's the, the tea metaphor you might have seen. There's the cake metaphor you might have seen. Um, there's the fries acronym, um, which I think is, is helpful for some folks. And you're going to ask, I see your face. You're going to ask me. I, what it I'm going to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What is That's totally fine. Cake, <laughs> fries. Oh, I don't know what the hell. What so, is um, so, <laughs> I want to say in maybe 2015, 16-ish, um, although what is time, right? Like I, I've lost all my, my grip on time. Um, there was a video about how like tea is like consent, um, right? So if, you know, you ask somebody if they want tea and they say, yes, you can give them tea. If they say, no, you're not going to like force open their jaw and try to like shove tea down their throat or it was it was a it was a video about kind of like the asking and and giving and kind of getting consent in that way um and then i think the cake consent is like cake came out of that and kind of added some nuance um and and added some nuance around like labor like the labor that it went that went into making a cake and that that still meant that somebody could say no, um, right? Even if you put this time and effort and labor into it, it was okay for somebody to say, no, I don't want a piece of cake. So they kind of added a little bit of, of nuance and um, acknowledge some of the, the kind of um, 
like maybe like more power dynamics that are often present when somebody is asking for consent. Oh, um, fries. Fries. So fries is an acronym. I think it, I think it was developed by Planned Parenthood um, or they may have used it and hopefully, hopefully credited the addition, the original authors if they did. Um, but I, I feel like the most, most of the times when I've seen it, um, it has been kind of through one of their educational websites or, or things like that, but it is adopted by a lot of different folks. Um, oh my gosh. Let me see if I can remember it. So uh, fries is freely given revocable. I is probably informed. E is, uh, oh, E is enthusiastic. Hmm. And then S is something. <laughs> so um, part of the reason that I don't remember this particular acronym is because I don't, I don't personally use it um, because in a lot of sexual situations, that enthusiastic piece is really important. In kink, it's not always. In kink and in that, that BDSM world, there are plenty of people who make the informed consensual decision to engage in things that they might not be enthusiastic about. Whether that is because they think that they will be, uh, will be beneficial in some other way, whether it's because they want to show up in a way for their partner, right? Enthusiastic doesn't mean don't want to do. It's just wouldn't be excited about doing them in a vacuum, right? It wouldn't be something that they were prompted to do on their own. Um, so that enthusiastic piece gets much more complicated in the kink world. Um, so, which is partially why I don't tend to use that, that fries acronym, um, because it does get more nuanced, um, in a lot of these, in a lot of these ways. Um, so yeah, so that's, and, and they're, they're all easily Googleable. So go and have fun. You'll find lots of cute little videos and, and things. It's a great, they're all great, like starting places for consent and conversations about consent. I don't think any of them should be the finishing place of that conversation, but they're great kind of kickoff ways um, to, to start having, having a conversation about that, the which tea, is a great conversation to have. The tea, the fries, the cake. I mean, I just keep thinking about food. I just think that it must have been a therapist that came up with all of that because only therapists are so, very hungry people. Yeah, no, no, but they're, so <laughs> like, they're always thinking about like, always so considerate of the other person's feelings and just making sure that they're inclusive. And so just, you know, that was definitely the one thing that I learned in that course that we had together is that the therapists were just on a different level, you know, like clinicians and doctors are so like, yes or no, black or white tell me what it is, what you want, and you're done and you're out, you know? Whereas, well, you know, like therapists would be like, well, you know, how does this feel for you? And, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm it's just just the terminology. I don't even have the words. <laughs> you guys are like so good. You know, you'd be yeah. like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm making you do the labor of what I need to do. And, you know, I need to wreck. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we love living in the nuance a lot of the time. Um, yeah, no, it was like, I learned so much and just really how to, um, I don't know, I almost want to say like, just to how to communicate with people, you know, and, and like, just even saying, you know, allowing people space. I mean, gosh, I, 
<laughs> what physician says that, right? Like, I'm going to give you space to think. No, they never say that. But, um, but you know, it's just therapist. So anyways, I'm just trying to say that I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think that, that a lot of communities, right, th the therapeutic community and the, the kink community as well, are starting to really look at um, how they may have historically interacted or maybe not been so welcoming or not been so affirming around kind of historically marginalized communities and really trying to say, well, well what can we do to correct that? What can we do to course correct? What can we do to make sure that we are offering affirming spaces? Um, and a lot of that is, right, is acknowledging it and naming it, right? Where, you know, for instance, the kink community having more conversations about like, what does it mean that we've used this term master and slave for so long? Like, what does that mean? What do we do with it? How do we kind of navigate forward honoring the people who, who may not want to use it or who may find it uh, marginalizing um, and in therapeutic spaces as well. And a lot of that is naming it and also recognizing that often folks from those communities take on a lot of the, the kind of labor of educating others. And that is exhausting, right? A lot of people who are kinky um, may have had that experience in a therapist's office, right? Of, of explaining all of these things about kink are explaining that it's like, okay, to be into spanking or all of these things. Um, until 2013, uh, kink was essentially a, a diagnosable mental illness. Um, if you were into receiving pain or giving pain or kind of engaging in a lot of kink, uh, kink affiliated behaviors, um, that was the UFIT criteria to be diagnosed in the DSM. Um, and in 2013, when they released the DSM-5, that shifted and those like uh, sexual sadism disorder and sexual masochism disorder and another of other things kind of adjacent are in the DSM still, but they have a really specific criteria around the fact that it must cause clinically significant distress to the individual, or in some cases be enacted with a non-consenting partner, right? That, that is also a problem. Um, but that is a really big change. Um, and unfortunately, right, we, we know that a lot of these kind of systemic changes take a lot of time and it's been 10 years and there are still plenty of therapists who have a lot of um, really stigmatized views around kink. But like that, that is for many people, the, the majority of their lifetime, right? Where they could walk into a therapist office and say, hey, I really find a lot of release and satisfaction and sexual pleasure out of receiving pain. And that therapist could literally diagnose them because of that. Um, that's, that's a big problem, right? Especially when, um, especially when mental health is already so stigmatized in this country um, and all of these things. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of kind of reasons that also people might be a little more wary about discussing kink and discussing um, kind of those types of activities with any sort of professional, right? Whether it's a mental health professional, whether it's a healthcare professional, um, you know, that is, that is potentially a bit of a danger zone for folks. So. Sure. That's probably why the, the range is so big, right? As well, mm -hmm. because perhaps people don't want to identify with the community that's so marginalized and yeah. that's been pathologized. 
So even though they may enjoy certain aspects of it, they just don't want to label themselves so that, you know, they're setting themselves apart and possibly for consequences, you know, like you were stating. So, um, AJ, I would love to know, like for, for somebody that, you know, and the DMs that I get, um, they are interested in finding out, you know, I guess what are, if, I don't know, say if a person is interested in BDSM, you know, what are, what are three main things that you would tell them that are absolutely um, critical before engaging in something like this or say, um, you know, something that they should just be aware of, right? And um, just so that they're making an informed decision and um, that they know, right? Or that w- where they can go to find a community. Right. Sure. I don't know if I can limit myself to three. You, you know, okay. I, I like I'm to talk. Me as <laughs> many as I'll, do, I'll do my best to streamline it a bit. Yeah. But um, no, you can give me as many as you want. Yeah. So a lot of times people do, um, do find kind of their interest in kink through many different ways, sure. right? It might be fiction or erotica. It might be porn. It might be a media portrayal. It might be a media portrayal that wasn't necessarily kink right that wasn't like bsm oriented but something was like oh i like when they got a little rough or like when you know they pulled that person's hair or um you know maybe they're like in shackles or something in a period movie and you're like oh i but well that's something that, that does something to me um right so a lot of times people have these little moments of like recognition of like oh this this feels like something that is kind of igniting in a way and they want to know like well how do i explore that i think the first the first really important piece to recognize is that that is not real <laughs> like that that feeling is very real that portrayal is not real um i know many folks who have um who have participated in a lot of those videos i know many folks who do sex work and um they are right they are shooting a movie whether it's porn, regardless of how kind of real it looks, whether it's erotica, right? Still somebody writing and crafting that, that scene. So those are, (laughs) no, you know, you, I think hit the nail on the head. I think that some people walk away, you know, when they're watching something like that, something like porn or something and they're, they're thinking that that is what their experience is going to look like, or that is, you know, what it should look like, or what this is, what it should be. And, and I think that what you just said is something that people need to understand. This is a show, like it's like watching like a Broadway show or just watching a movie, just realizing that, you know what, this is, I'm watching this for the entertainment value of it. So let me understand that that's what that is. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's, no that's, that's really important. I think this is another really important conversation to have, which might be better for kind of another another day. But um, right, there there are a lot of, conversations and kind of safety mechanisms that go into those that we don't see. There are some companies, um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head and I'm going to blank on it, right? There are some companies and kind of um, porn producers that do show that, right? They show the conversation. They literally film the conversations beforehand that people have about what's going to happen. But a lot of times like, 
you know, people might have safe words, people might have ways of signaling that they need to stop, they need to pause, um, right, they need to get out of something, they need to just rest for a second. And we're, we're not going to see those, right, those might, those are probably going to be cut out of most um, of, of most of the porn you're going to have access to. Um, but the, I would say the general public is going to have access to unless they're specifically looking for um, what we might call more kind of ethical porn or maybe more quote unquote real porn, like realistic porn um, or things like that. And like a lot of that signaling and a lot of that conversation that happens beforehand to create consent is, is just not shown. It's, it's hidden. Um, so I think that that's a really important thing to recognize is that those can be really fun and they can be really indicative of what you might want to explore. But that is, that is a, is a scenario that is set up and it's okay if your experiences don't look like that. Um, because it's a, it's a very right in the same way that it's okay if you can't, you know, slide your motorcycle under a semi. That is something that, that has been very specifically set up to be, for somebody to be able to do that and make it safe. Yeah. Right? yeah. Walk out the other side. Um, so we're not, we're, we're not as a moviegoer seeing all of that preparation. I, I worked in film for, for a number of years. So like, right, there's so much preparation that goes into the back end of any sort of stunt to make it safe. And, and, what we see on screen is a fraction of all of that work. And it's, it's often the same with porn, right? There's a lot of preparation and uh, discussion and things that go into it. And we're not necessarily seeing that. So we have to kind of manage our expectations about what our interaction with these things look like. So <laughs> that being said, right, they can be a really good place, you know, porn, erotica, movies, like those can all be really great places to start thinking about what you might be interested in, right? What aspect of, of what you were seeing was exciting, right? Was it the physical action? Was somebody getting tied up or restrained? Was somebody, um, you know, spanking someone? Um, was somebody pulling somebody's hair? Was it a role play, right? Was it, was the appeal something about the roles that the people were in? Um, was the appeal somebody having or taking power or control, right? Like thinking about kind of what about that felt appealing and exciting. Um, and then do, you know, how and where do I want to explore this? Or do I want to let it live in fantasy, which is also totally fine. Um, a lot of, a lot of folks can sometimes have some distress about the things that they fantasize about or what turns them on in porn or erotica. And there are there, there is a huge swath of people who never try and never want to try what they get turned on by in porn and erotica. And that's totally fine. Just because something turns you on in those spaces doesn't mean it's something that also needs to be explored or needs to exist outside of those spaces for you. Um, and I think that's really important to understand, especially when somebody says, hey, I might not necessarily be super comfortable with this fantasy, this fantasy, like, do I do I really want this? Do I really want to be, you know, kidnapped or something like that? And, and the answer is probably no. 
right? Fantasies are, are places for our brains to work things out and to figure out what it's like interacting with taboo often. Um, and that's a really exciting thing. And it's also okay if you want it to stay there. Um, if you decide that you want to explore it in, in real life, um, right, in, in the physical, figuring out um, first who you're going to do that with, right? Is there somebody who is also going to feel comfortable doing that with you and doing it in a consensual way? Um, and then, you know, it's going to look different depending on the activity, but a lot of times um, figuring out how to do it safely, might be important depending on what it is, right? Even something like spanking. Um, you want to make sure that you're spanking in kind of the right places um, that are both going to feel good and, you know, be safer. Um, you don't want to be like <laughs> punching someone's kidney or anything like that, right? That would not be, not be great. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then you're going to go see you sit up. But, um, and I'm not going to ask about your feelings. I'm right. going <laughs> to tell you what it is. Was somebody punching you in the kidney? <laughs> That's <laughs> right, right. I'm not going to give you space. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, you damaged your kidney. <laughs> you can come to me for space. Uh, right. <laughs> but, um, right. So, so thinking about how do we, how do we do this safely? And this is where, where Google really starts to be your friend. Um, but it's also important to figure out like, or, or think about how am I finding good sources, right? A lot of times that means you may see things like infographics that are shared on a number of places that are not necessarily only social media places, right? Educational sites, things like that, um, around kink and BDSM. Uh, and I think that that is like, it's sometimes a bit, to, a bit hard to navigate, but, um, thinking about like kind of the, the equivalent of like, is this a .com or is this an .edu, right? When you're looking for like information for a paper or something, when a lot of folks in high school, like, we're like, okay, how do I get good sources and how do I find good information on the internet? Um, so, so thinking about kind of what the educational sources are um, and then how do we talk about consent and how do we have conversations about that. Um, there are some really great books that I love to, to suggest to folks yeah, tell us. getting tell us. started. Um, one is called Playing Well with Others, um, which is about kind of kink broadly and like getting involved in kink in general, but also potentially in the community. And that talks a lot about like um, a lot of the events you might see, a lot of the opportunities to kind of explore the community and things like that. Um, and the, you know, some of the safety aspects around that and kind of keeping yourself safe and talking about consent and things like that. Um, there is also a set of books called The New Topping and The New Bottoming Books. Mm. Um, by uh, Janet Hardy and Dossie Eastman. And the um, Playing Well with Others is Melina Williams and Lee Harrington. All of these people are incredible. And um, they, they are also really wonderful resources for, um, for education. Um, but the New Topping and the New Bottoming book are, right, we might recognize those terms from when we talked about kind of the, the roles people take on in scenes. Those are very focused on what does it look like to to build a scene, right? To build some sort of kinky action with somebody. How do you 
explore and think about what you want to do. How do you talk about it with them? How do you ensure that both people are kind of getting what they need or want out of something? How are you um, showing up and communicating for yourself? And what do you what are you kind of asking of your partner to do in terms of making sure that everybody is everybody's voice is heard, everybody has agency in that. So those are kind of the three, um, the three kind of resources that I would recommend for folks to get started. Um, another great thing to be able to do is look at what we call a yes, no, maybe list, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, right. It's a list of all kinds of activities that, um, that each person can look over and say, yes, this feels really interesting to me. No, that feels like something I like absolutely don't want to do. And maybe, I don't know, I, maybe I need to, to hear more about what this actually means. Maybe I need to research it more. Maybe we need to talk about like the specifics of it, right? If, if it's maybe or yes under certain circumstances, right? Um, so you kind of talk about it a little more. And that is not a, not the, that is again, like that's the start of a conversation, Right. So that is not a consent document. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything somebody marked yes to is consensual, is magically consensual now. But that's the start of a conversation about what we might want to make con- make explicitly consensual and then perhaps do with each other. Um, so those are there are a ton out there. They're, they're also very easily Googleable. Um, there is a blog post by a really wonderful educational store in Albuquerque called self-serve toys. If you Google yes, no, maybe list self-serve toys, you will find a post that is their, I think top five favorite. Yes, no, maybe lists. There is a kink one. There are also some general ones, which I think are really, really great. There is one that is just about kind of sexual touching, what kind of touch, where, um, right? All of those things. I think there is one for younger folks, right? For kind of teens, it's a little more like introductory. Um, there's one that's kink focused. I think there's one that's um, polyamory or kind of ethically non-monogamy focused. Um, so that's just a really great kind of resource and like starting page for a lot of these. But those can be really handy. And I, I think playing well with others, if not all three of the books that I recommended also have them in the back as well um, as resources. Wow, that was amazing, AJ, that you gave us tons of information and tons of resources and checklists and everything. And I really, really appreciate it, especially for, you know, those people that uh, may be interested, but don't know where to start. And those that are interested, but too afraid to ask, right? So I think that, um, you know, you gave us tons of information and I really appreciate it. And uh, before we go, how can people get in touch with you? Say that they want you to uh, be their therapist, you know, how can they get in touch? How can they reach out to you? Where they can, where can they find you? Yeah, that's so um, you, you may or may not be aware therapists can can see clients who are physically in the states where they are licensed. So if you live in Iowa, sorry, I can't be your therapist. Um, Right. You can only see um, patients in the states that we have licensed. Yes. Yes. And that includes telehealth. Um, So, right. uh, 
a lot of us in the area were scrambling because if we saw people in DC in our offices, all of a sudden the pandemic came around and those people lived in either DC or Maryland or Virginia or sometimes Pennsylvania, you know, it was bananas. But I am licensed in DC, Maryland, Virginia, and New York state. And um, yeah, I got a whole, whole bunch of them. Uh, It makes renewal time very upsetting for my wallet. Um, But I, you know, I am, I am always happy to talk with folks. You can reach me. I am currently at a practice owned by a wonderful woman named Tamara Pincus. And that is her website. You can find me on there as well as a bunch of other really amazing clinicians um, and some educators. We also do a lot of education through there. So I actually have a a class coming up this week on anxiety and kink and kind of how anxiety might impact uh, how we interact with kink and, and, you know, what, how we kind of want to navigate things. Um, That website is tamarapincus.com, T-A-M-A-R-A. P-I-N-C-U-S.com. And so that's that's a great kind of resource uh, things. Some of our educators write blog posts about a ton of different stuff, including lots of stuff about sex. And um, you can definitely find me there and a lot of the, the classes that I will be teaching. Most of my classes uh, are some kind of kink-oriented, uh, you know, class or series or anything like that. So that's usually the best way to get in touch with me. Um, If folks do have a therapist that they maybe want to talk more about sex or kink with and aren't sure about how they will react, I do also do um, consultations with therapists because a lot of times, right, the most important thing about therapy is the relationship between a client and their therapist. Um, and, and often that is much more important than having somebody who may have like all the kink knowledge in the world, right? Which is by no means certainly me. That is definitely not me. Um, right, but so that's a really important thing. So sometimes people have a really good connection with their therapist. They say, hey, I don't wanna go to somebody who specifically works with these kinds of things, but I also wanna be able to talk about them in therapy. And that is a space where, um, where I often will come and, and provide consultation or um, and be able to do kind of some education around that. There is also, if you happen to be in that position, there's a wonderful book by a woman named Stephanie Gorlich um, called The Leather Couch. And that is a great thing to recommend to your therapist if you're saying, hey, I might want to explore kink or you know, discuss it a little more in therapy, and they may not kind of have as much of a working knowledge around it. So that's a good resource for them as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, AJ. Thank you so much for your time and all your knowledge. Really appreciate it. And well, I am done here. It's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice or even therapeutic advice. So if you're having any concerns about your health or your mental health, please see your friendly neighborhood clinician or therapist and please uh, get the help that you need. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. So thank you for listening to the podcast and make sure you leave us a review, share and like the podcast. And if you leave me a review, I'd love to shout you out on social media. So be sure that you share it with all your friends and thanks for listening.